the worst all-time trades, right? Yeah. Had we we gave up Jonathan Taylor for Michael Thomas coming off of that monster season, and that hasn't been good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I do remember that, and I was like, ooh, that's a that's that's bold, but I was I was like, man, yeah, that could work. Well, we love Taylor too, so to do it, I mean, and then have it work the way it did, but. <laughs> Yeah, that's tough, for sure. I'm just taking I'm just taking Matt Corral right now, so I don't have to think about this during the show, fellas. <laughs> he my, he my, wants to go into the show with an open mind. I, yeah, I don't I want I, I don't want to have like my eye on the computer. Um, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to call you right after the show ends, dude, because we're we're on the clock on our 12:50 triflex. Oh my so gosh! We're, okay, we're gonna, have to, we're gonna have to sort that out too after this. For yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I'm sure we'll all be on the clock in about three or four weeks by the time yeah. the show's over. So. Oh yeah. I'm, oh yeah. I'm currently I'm currently on the clock in multiple leagues, but I'm not even I'm not even looking at it. So, I'm ready to rock, fellas. Whenever. As long as there's time time left, right, boys? You guys ready to rock this or what? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. District, you know the Pope listens. Dynasty, our religion, for the blokes missing on all of these trades, on all of these plays, on all of these grades. By the end of the day, y'all getting played. So, what you gonna do next? Try to fill up that flex. Send the homie a text. That trash offers the best. You try to make it complex. Then they text you back. Now, all of a sudden, they don't make any sense. <laughs> Broaden your horizons, boy. Dynasty's not for the Simons, boy. Trades not for consignment, boy. Respect your opponent, y'all some piranhas, boy. This my advice from me to you. Open up your cute little podcast queue. Search up G-O-A-T district, my dude. Pop it in your ear, man. Y'all know what to do. It's the... And I'll always be traded. And I'll always be traded. And I'll always be trading. Y'all try to betray them, but first you gotta bait them. Fish. What is up, Fantasyland? We are back in the district, and like we do it on the reg, tonight is a monster show. One of the biggest guests we've had tonight. All four of the GOATs made sure they were on tonight with this man. And we're not going to waste time tonight, guys. You all know who we are. You know what we do on the regular. Make sure you tune in. Smash a subscribe, the like. You know him from Rotoviz, stealing bananas, ship chasing, crushing Fantasy leagues like it's nobody's business. Mr. Sean Siegel, welcome to the GOAT District. How's it going, gents? Excited to be here. Doing great, doing great. And I'll add for our high stakes listeners, Sean did take down an NFFC primetime, um, which, which, you know, we've had a couple of those on, on the show. So it's nice to have another one in here. Love it. Yep. It's kind Absolutely. of you to mention that. It- that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, 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 nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. I love seeing the smile peek through. It's like, oh, yeah, I, yeah, I did that too. Yeah, big smile. All right. So, guys, we have a big show tonight. Like we said, there's we got the whole crew on, on the line. We got a loaded show. In the chat, guys, we appreciate you guys tuning in. Keep the questions coming, the comments. We love all of it. Make sure you smash the like. Theo, I'm going to let you start this off. I'll bet any money that I have that this thing goes off the rails, no doubt. 
because I already have a million other questions from what I've seen on the show sheet. So I'm going to let you start and then uh, we'll see where this thing goes. But uh, let's start it off, brother. No, I'm sure we're going to galaxy brain it tonight. This is a good, this is a great one. We're all in the middle of our rookie drafts. Um, but we want to first, first uh, ask a couple questions about you and Rotoviz. You're synonymous with the zero RB strategy. Now with the rise of hero RB and the principles of zero RB being more commonly used, like pretty much every high stakes draft you do now, I'd say about half the, half the members are going hero RB. Um, how can fantasy players still get an edge using that sort of a strategy? Well, it's interesting because I think there are a couple of ways and they're going to sound like contradictions, but the most straightforward way is just that I think that a lot of people are kind of moving in that direction. A lot of the elements that we've discussed for a long time now are very much mainstream. And so that's kind of good and bad. I mean, the whole time, you know, through all those years where people are just like, you know, what you do doesn't work. You know, you're kind of making up these results. The evidence isn't behind it. The tactics aren't solid. You're like, well, you don't want to hear people criticizing what you do. At the same time, then you can still play it, and it works. Once people start to agree with you, then a lot of those exploitable opportunities do go away. And so from a playing perspective, that part is frustrating. It becomes more challenging. And yet, I do think that a lot of the players who go about zero running back especially, which is a little bit trickier, I think, than sort of the hero RB approach, still don't do it right. And sometimes we'll have people come to us and say, look, we did this and you know, now we're even more convinced you don't know what we're talking about because it didn't work at all in our league. And one of the things that you will see is that drafters did start with wide receivers, but then they went off too early and they panicked. They got in a situation where they wanted to start taking running backs and build this sort of balanced team that you kind of always think about or traditionally would have done but when you do that, you start to give away that wide receiver value in five, six, seven, eight, and you're drafting running backs into this area that's still not very strong, right? You've got to be more patient, more aggressive, and you've got to draft teams that you're uncomfortable with. The same thing is true a little bit, I think, with the hero RB. Once you have that first running back, I mean, you just have to hammer the receivers. Ideally, you want to be strong at some of those other positions as well. You don't want to get too aggressive, but being very good at the onesies and maximizing your starting lineup is something that's going to help you in all leagues, right? I mean, you only get to play so many players, those guys who are actually in the lineup, they need to be good. And so there are some advantages you can get there. So I think just actually doing it correctly is one where you can still get an advantage. But then the other thing, which is sort of a contradiction, is to say, look, we have these opportunities now that didn't used to exist, where there are some fun running backs who fall and not just fun, but running backs with sort of interesting profiles. And at the same time, because so many people are going wide receiver early and heavy, it does change up some of the wide receiver values in that area where, I mean, you look at the history and it's just like wide receivers crush running backs are terrible, but ADP shifts do matter. And so, especially now in the NFL where we have so many quarterback situations that are sketchy, right? I mean, you have to look at whether or not you want those players. And I think that, I mean, I had this experience last year. I know many listeners will have, will have as well. But like if you had a DJ Moore or a Terry McLaurin, I mean, those guys are virtually unplayable if you're trying to win big money down the stretch. And they're still expensive now. And most of those problems are still there. You know, do you pivot off of some of those guys? And part of it is just player selection. I think sometimes people want to say, 
player selection doesn't matter at all. It's just the structure. I mean, I, I think both parts are fun. If you don't want to pick players, then I mean, don't just do it for the structure, right? So kind of melding those things, I think, is where you can still get the advantage. And 2022 will be very interesting because there are going to be some traditionally bad constructions that I think people get some cool results with this year. You, you yeah, I know. A, oh, good deal. No, I was going to say 2022 is interesting, though, because I know Dan and I, we just did an NFFC um, Rotowire online championship draft, and we started with Jefferson at the 103. And it feels like Cup, Jefferson, and Chase are all going to go in that that top six or seven. So it might push other wide receivers up. So it might be a, a few interesting builds like that. Is that kind of how, how you're seeing it? Yeah. I, one of the things with the hero running back is just that, you know, where do you take it? Last year, round two was so successful. I mean, that's probably not going to hit exactly like that again. So if people are chasing a very specific thing from last year. That part is going to be a little bit tricky. But yeah, I mean, the wide receivers are going to be better than the running backs after the first two spots for a lot of the first round. And so then you're already off to this kind of fun zero RB-ish approach. And then it's a matter of, you know, do you sprinkle in some type of anchor running back or do you go full zero RB and think, you know, I've got guys in the 9, 10, 11 range that I like, and then maybe more guys in the 17, 18, 19 range that I like, and I'm comfortable trying to hit on those. And we, we know that last year was phenomenal in some ways because you have Fournette and Patterson throughout most of the regular season. And then you have Singletary and Michelle and Rashad Penny hit at the end. And so depending on what your mix was, I mean, last year was very favorable. You're not going to get quite that lucky every season, but again, I mean, over time, the results are very good for this. Yeah, for sure. I think, I, I think a lot of it is just being open to, you know, instead of trying to solve for last year, uh, you know, last year's season has already played out and, you know, there's, there's just so much analysis out there that just tries to, to solve last year and what, what we should have done last year. And really we have to think about, you know, what, it, what does that actually mean for this year with, uh, you know, the, the, the NFL has already shaken the etch a sketch and we have to start from scratch and we have to figure out, you know, you know, Leonard Fournette is a completely different uh, player at a completely different value right now than he was before. You know, so are we saying, you know, do, do we want to pick Leonard Fournette in the second and third or third round? And we're saying that's a great pick. Or are we saying you got to go out there and you got to find that Leonard Fournette in like the eighth, ninth, tenth round and and do it that way. And really both, you know, both parts are, I think, um, critical to to really putting together a good uh, strategy and system for this year. No, absolutely. Andrew, and then, did you have? Sorry, I think Andrew had a, a cue to throw in there. No, not non, nonsense. No. Uh, maybe maybe you're immune to it now, Sean. But have you uh, have you noticed you're better at sticking to the hero or zero RB strategy and like the slow versus the live drafts? Because I'll just tell you, in, in slow drafts, and, and Dan knows this because we just did a triflex together. I, I, I literally I text him like, "Hey, like I can steal myself. I can steal my stomach, like through like the next like two to three rounds or whatever of not taking you know a certain position or or being without a pick or whatever. I have found it's easier for me to psych myself up and go scream in a closet or something to tell myself, "Don't take this running back. Don't take this running back. Don't take this running back," and then smash a wide receiver as opposed to the live drafts. I can I can somehow you know sometimes re- resort back to uh, 
to bad tendencies. Have, have you noticed it, it easier over the years to kind of steal yourself, as you were saying, make yourself uncomfortable uh, in, in the draft rooms? That's an interesting question. I, I mean, through the sort of 2008 to 2000, sort of 14-ish time period, I did so many live drafts and often did these high-stakes drafts sort of two and three at a time. And so the kind of the processing of how those drafts go and the, and the frequency of it made it kind of easy to go through and e- execute the plan there. It's almost a little bit more of a struggle, I think, in the slow drafts because there's so much time. And by the time you're on the clock, you want to do something cool. You overthink it. But the main problem that I have in all drafts, as opposed to, I think, what a lot of people have where they kind of get pulled back to trying to be balanced, is as I start to draft the team, it just, I mean, it just is so all in that at some point you're like, you know, draft a running back or draft a wide receiver. I mean, there'll be some drafts I do where start with some running backs and the, the value seems to be there. And this seems crazy for a, you know, a zero RB person, but it's just like, I just want to draft running backs or I just want to draft receivers. I mean, the, the team that Blair Andrews and I drafted in the main event uh, a couple of years ago that ended up finishing 31st, disappointingly on a stat correction, <laughs> dropped out of the top 30. Um, we actually took our first running back in round 11. And at that point, we were still like just trying to force ourselves to actually take one, take one. We went, you know, wide receivers, QB tight end through the first 10 rounds. And I don't know. I, I find actually coming back to the other positions is, is more of a problem than, than being too balanced. Interesting. And I just, just to add on to that. I mean, I think what's, what's really interesting, especially if you, if you go too far down the rabbit hole, I have found is sometimes you get disgusted even having, well, if you go down the wide receiver uh, path, it's sometimes hard because the white, the running backs do get pushed up. So by the time you're taking one, maybe in the 11th round, you're still disgusted with the options. And maybe you're still thinking to yourself, I, I want to go somewhere else, but maybe I, I, I know I have got to just, I got to go running back here. Cause I got to relieve the pressure out of the system or something. So it, sometimes it gets just so gross. You just, you feel, you feel disgusting about it, but that, you know, that's just how I get in slow drafts. Yeah. I, I basically had to hit, hold Andrew down and force him to take the single. <laughs> I refuse to click the button. <laughs> He's a receiver whore. You're going to have to click the button on this one, Dan. I'm not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I always hope I, I always hope I get the 101 with uh, with Andrew because then it's there's, there's at no least there's no discussion. Yeah. He probably he probably <laughs> still, Taylor. I bet you he still tries to discuss it though. No, we, no, we, no. I'm really good at the 101. The 101 we're usually good at. Good. Occasionally you get the you get the hey, do you want to get crazy this draft? No, not when we have the 101. But uh. That usually usually he'll take Jonathan Taylor, so that's uh, at least he'll stick to that one. Yeah. And then how about how how do we how do we take the the zero RB and hero RB strategy and apply it to to dynasty startups? That it almost naturally works better in these dynasty startups, would you say? Because um, because of the players holding value, or is that something where you might want to even pivot differently? I like to go very wide receiver heavy still. It does depend on the format and how many guys you can start. One of the things to talk about a lot for Dynasty is that you need to build a better than the best possible redraft team and probably better by a substantial margin. And so at some point, running backs probably come into that if you have a relatively shallow starting lineup, right? But, I mean, that's one of the reasons why the Triflex is so fun. It goes so wide receiver heavy there. I've got a, a kitchen sink league with Ryan McDowell where 
the team has actually done extremely well. I, I mean, you have some other players in some other positions, but kind of going through the years, it started out with Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson when they got hurt and then, you know, have this epic year when Christian McCaffrey scores, but has McCaffrey and he gets hurt. Saquon Barkley that and so you're kind of moving through those guys over this very long period of time and so finally recently I just gave up McCaffrey and Barkley again and said look I mean this is a 10 starting lineup league and you only have to play one running back let's just go basically all wide receivers those guys you can get the the value easier they're going to hold the value longer and just like in a zero running back approach in redraft you can blitz people with your wide receiver points, one of the things we talk about zero RB, what are you trying to do? Well, you're trying to get six of the top 15 wide receivers, right? And that may take drafting more than just six because you're not necessarily, I mean, people aren't going to just give you six of the top 15, even if you start that way. But you're going after that. If you can get that in Dynasty too, I mean, you can really put it on your opponents. I'm in three Triflex leagues right now. I think I am on the clock in the rookie draft in all of them. So I apologize to people in my league there. But in those leagues, this is the sort of the second year for it. Obviously, we're doing the rookie draft. And in two of the three leagues, it just have two running backs total. One of them has Etienne and Dobbins. That's kind of a nice little start. And then the third one kind of has uh, Barkley, Rojo, and James Conner. So you kind of like that little nucleus. But then – and it, one of the things – and we can talk about Triflex uh, as much as you guys are interested in. But because we traded down in the startup – we're in a situation where once we make all of our rookie picks, we're in all three of these leagues, I'm going to have like 30, 32 players. And so then you have this off season where you can watch the guys play. And obviously you're making picks that you think will increase in value, but then you got to get back down to 20. So it'll be an interesting off season trying to shave 10 guys off of the roster without, you know, just giving value away. So that part of it will be interesting. Can you move some of those wide receivers for running backs? If in fact, that's what you want to do. Sean, can you, uh, we got a, a question from the chat, famous Jay dropping a question, just defining zero RB maybe for newer or players or, or just to define, because, you know, there's there's kind of a gray area, right? So he's doing one receiver, two tight end, three, or I guess these are his picks. So I guess if he's going receiver, tight end, receiver, QB, running back, running back, he's asking, is that considered zero RB or where do you have to start taking RB to consider that strategy, to be considered that strategy, sorry. Yeah, a lot of people look at it in a lot of different ways. And I I mean, I definitely tried not to have the approach of somehow I get to define the conversation for everybody, obviously. But but looking at that... Define it, Sean. Hey, Take a stand. Define it, yeah. <laughs> define it. <laughs> Setting in stone. That's right. Yeah, I like getting the, the onesies in there if you're getting star players we know the elite tight end in almost all formats i mean if you have a good tight end it's almost like having an extra player so from this idea of maximizing your starting lineup again that's very helpful i tend to not look at it as zero rb unless you have four wide receivers before you take your first running back i mean at least four non-running backs to start would be like the very softest version of it but i tend to think of it as a, a more aggressive approach than just that I want to throw a quick one in because I'm in round two right now of my first Triflex uh, this year doing a 250 uh, dynasty. I'm, I'm curious how you balance the quarterbacks in. Obviously, you're going aggressive with the receivers early, and that's, I think, as a as a team, that's kind of what 
we like as an approach, but what are you, where are you balancing in those quarterbacks? How you, how you managing that in those first few rounds to make sure you don't miss anything, but then still get that value in other positions. Yeah. The, the super flex part makes it so fun because it creates a much fairer dynamic through the first round. And I, th- I think people love playing the quarterbacks and having them matter. And then they also love playing the quarterbacks and having the first round in a startup be fair. Cause if, you don't have super flex then there's just this massive difference between people who get top three or four picks and people who get 9 10 11 12 almost to the point where you know those <laughs> folks are like we'll play for one year and then you're going to find new people but anyway i the qb part is is a lot of fun i was looking at my my rankings before the show because one of the the show sheet questions was about you know where do we put chase and jefferson in there and it was almost a little bit of a surprise to me when I was looking at it. I have chased at the 102. It, obviously, I think you can have the four quarterbacks, I think, are superstars. Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, a little bit out of fashion because of what happened last year. They probably still are the two guys with the most absolute upside. And so you could see putting them in. There's the question of how they'll age for dynasty purposes. And so, you know, that also is a little bit of a wrinkle. And then you have Herbert and Burrow coming in as the other sort of the two young guns. Will they be able to put up enough passing points to kind of match this other group. I mean, it's those six guys along with Jefferson chase at the beginning Pitts and Taylor. I mean, I think that's the group that you look at as your tier one, and it's going to be a little bit personal preference, how you move it in. I think that, and one of the fun things in the, even in the, in the super flex, if you get that early pick, you can trade down to later in the round, pick up some extra value, start yourself off. I mean, just anytime you get lucky, you want to take advantage of it and move down and get more points or more picks, what have you. So I'd like to get the anchor QB in these triflex ones that we did. I think in both of them, or one actually Burrow fell. So, I mean, you're looking for the situations where you actually think ADP is wrong. And last year we thought Burrow was wrong. In the first half of the year, you're like, well, oh, yeah. I don't know. Second half of the year, it seemed pretty clear cut. That you kind of like. Uh, in another one, we actually traded back up later after we'd acquired just so much that we couldn't really use it all. It's again, this question of like, how do you manage your roster? I think in the FFPC leagues, that's pretty fun. It, obviously, when you play the home leagues that have 30, that's a blast. You can stash all your guys you want to stash in the FFPC, Rotoviz, Triflex. I mean, you can't really stash the guys the same way. But the the tactics of managing those roster spots is just really, really interesting. So anyway, we moved back up, got Kyler Murray. And then in the third one, we got kind of three bad quarterbacks. I, for the QB2, I like a bad quarterback or at least a contingency-based sort of play to where if he hits. Like a Daniel Jones, I mean, he's extremely inexpensive. But there is at least some small chance that he hits. You know, he's got some good receivers now, got a better coaching staff, very athletic. You know, he could run and create a lot of points for you that way. If things fall a little bit, I mean, his price is kind of crazy. I mean, it definitely is priced as though this is his last year as the starter. I think that's – there's at least a chance that that's not the case where – for a lot of the other guys down there, I mean, Carson Wentz is not a good player. Uh, Matt Ryan is at the very end. Uh, there, there are two or three other guys. I mean, Marcus Mariota is interesting with Ritter now. And, and with the veterans in the rookie draft, we're currently on the clock in the league at the 210. We're like, I mean, do you take Mariota? Because, I mean, there's a chance that he blows up. Right. I mean, one of the problems with both Ritter and Mariota is that neither one of them could be the starting QB next year. And then both of their values go to zero, but there's also a chance that one of the two of them grabs it. In which case, you know, you got to that high value QB at a very manageable price. JD, do you, can you pull up that board to maybe 
pick Sean Springer yeah, a little I'll, bit. I'll, I'll work on that. Uh, throw in another question from the chat if you if you've got one or, or another one, and I'll pull that up right now. Sure. Right. I, um, Dude, you're talking about any galbraining this weekend? What's that? I don't. Do I, to, I love it. Go should for we, it. Should we talk about any gal? So, so I, I I've been known to galbrain a time or two. Sean, did you did you have any <laughs> spots in your drafts in the rookie drafts where you were uh, galaxy braining a pick where you particularly stuck or or or, 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 or fa- found yourself making one particular choice more often than uh, than others? Well, the the hiccup that we have run into in basically all of the drafts that I'm in right now, where we have a ton of second round picks, a ton of third round picks, we have guys we like, but you're trying to maximize the value and you're trying to maybe move some value into 2023. That's always the interesting part of the Triflex too, is how do you keep some value somewhere else because you can't use it all. And the problem that I've run into is that I thought that Damian Pierce was going to be more popular because even though like in our Rotoviz tools, I mean, he looks like a non-prospect just completely, but I do understand that there are a lot of people who like him. He breaks some tackles. Then he goes to the situation in Houston where you can see him as the starting running back. And you're thinking, okay, well, our ADP, the ADP pulling into our tools suggests he's like 204, 205. But in the drafts that I'm in where he's fallen to 208, 209, 210, nobody wants him. And you, even once he's fallen, you can't move the pick for something exciting. So that part of it, I think is interesting. Some of those guys, Pierce versus Spiller at running back there and how you manage the running backs in the second round, I think has been an interesting dynamic in rookie drafts so far. I had, for me, it was Garrett, Garrett Wilson versus Jamison Williams at the one Oh six. I came, I, I had that to make that decision so many times and it was every time it was a hard decision. I ended up with more Garrett Wilson than, than Jamison Williams and I, I wish I would have added a little bit more Jamison Williams. Um, so for me, that was like the 106 was like super tough. I feel like those guys were there. There was one league where I actually um, managed to pick up the seventh pick, and I got both of them, which I was really happy about. Um, but that that decision was just a tough one. It's almost like you could see either of those guys having just dynamite careers. Maybe both of them do, but you always feel like you may be missed out. Dan, did you have any really, really hard rookie selections? You know, for the most part, no. Um, what I've been frustrated mostly by on this draft is just the the, the crappiness of the uh, the running backs in yeah. general. I mean, you know, it's either you got the 101, 102, or, you know, it, you're you're already taking pot Agreed. Shots. Agreed. You know, and that, especially, and, if you and like, especially if you like drafting that position to rookie drafts, right, Dan? Right, exactly. And you know, and this is, it, and it makes it really tough, you know, when you have interesting players like, uh, you know, David Bell or, you know, John Mechie or, you know, you, you're you passing over Wondell Robinson, you're passing over guys like these to take a, you know, a Damian Pierce. And it just, it, it, the grossness of it, I just want to take a shower every time that I even consider it. So, <laughs> and, and, and so far I haven't been able to do it. I, I have tried to get a Rashad White or two, haven't been able to manage it. Um, I, I you gotta I get you gotta get him at the back end of the first if you want him. That's where I, I took him. Hold, yeah, I did hold my nose and grab a um <laughs> an Isaiah Spiller share. But yeah, other than that, I'm kind of dropping down to the Ty- Tyler Algier area. That 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 kind of place is where I can start, you know, I, I can draft those running backs and not feel quite so bad about it. Yeah. Shout out to our loyal listeners. I did end up with a lot of Trey McBride, which I was thrilled about. That guy. We uh, how did we yeah. not know that? <laughs> we yeah, know. We've been talking That's him up awesome. for, for months. They're months. So 
How about you, uh, Andrew? What's your hardest hardest uh, selection this weekend? Or the, the, if it can the, coming up? Ver- verbal meme: spy, one Spider Man with twenty twenty Pat twenty twenty one Pat Fryermuth over him, and the other Spider Man pointing back at him, saying twenty twenty two Trey McBride. And that was like that was like Theo this weekend. We can we can only hope. McBride's. We can only hope. We can yeah. only hope for two moose. Uh, no, I'm gonna I, throw. Uh, Oh, sorry, Andrew. Go ahead, buddy. Oh, no. I, I was going to say, my, my, my toughest decision was diversification at like the 110 whenever Skymore dropped. I had a real tough time convincing myself to like get like a pretty even split. Uh, and, and these guys, Theo, Theo Dan, JD, were, were really good moral support and therapy session of like, no, you got to mix in some pickings. Don't, don't forget that pickings rhymes with Higgins, pr- print the damn shirts. Uh, so that, that, that was tough. I only mixed in one Jahan Dotson. I just found whenever Sky Moore fell there, especially in those triflex leagues, like maybe, maybe Kenny Pickett, like push him down to the 110. If he was ever there this weekend, I was taking him and I, I kind of felt uncomfortable with how much I was grabbing him, but I, I, I really did not make it an even split behind Sky Moore and Pickens. So I, I guess I'm all, all in on the Sky Moore aspect. And, and I think that, you know, I'm, I'm really exposed to being wrong. So I'm gonna have to figure that out somehow, but it was just too, too fun to, to draft a uh, Sky with two Ys this weekend. You, you talked about Dotson, and that's why I just want to ask Sean real quick. He he's kind of a tough one, right? Because he's he, you see him kind of linger into the back end of the first, even into the second. I think I got him like in the. I'm trying to pull it up as I talk to you, but in the early of the second, and like a super flex tight end premium, where I just couldn't pass him up. I have two two picks in a row in the early second. I took Spiller and Dotson just because I like I told the guys I don't want no Dotson. I'm not going to be taking him everywhere because he is kind of falling often, but. Is he value there? Or is he is he a guy you're avoiding? How do you feel about Dotson, Sean? Real quick. Well, I mean, he he's extremely tricky, right? Because you have a player where the profile historically has vastly underperformed draft slot, and so you've got two things kind of working in opposite directions, where you have the draft slot sort of anchoring him to one scoring level, and then he's got all of the red flags that push you down significantly down into a different scoring level. And then you have the situation where, unlike most of the rest of the guys, it's hard to see him being the wide receiver one there. And then Carson Wentz is terrible, right? And so all of those things make him tricky. I mean, Curtis Patrick and I selected David Bell ahead of him in the pros versus Joe's draft that we're in with you guys. And, I mean, Bell is better, and he's in a better situation. Now, they're drafted light years apart. And so that part of it, obviously, you're taking some risk with Bell. The article that I just published today talks about if you can't afford your favorite rookies, if you've moved out of the first round, and we all have these leagues where for one reason or another that we did sell all the picks. I actually have Dotson as someone who is a good discount candidate for people who miss on Olave because Olave has a lot of the same red flags. And I think that these two guys are are similar in that both of them project to underperform their draft slot, but that still gives you plenty of floor, right? Because they were drafted so early. So I think that that kind of way to look at it is interesting. Dotson has still gone above where I think he probably deserves to go, but he's a very wide range of outcomes type of player. I mean, one of the things I've been grappling with is that in a lot of these leagues and like the Triflex leagues, for example, you're going to look at someone, you're look at some veterans being back in the draft, and KJ Hamler is back in the draft in, in most cases. I mean, Dotson, despite their differences in, in draft slot, I mean, he's like a poor man's KJ Hamler. And so, I mean, there, there, so there are some different ways you could play that part of it too. But 
I mean, Dotson, once you get him at the price that he's going at and you have a top 16 pick at that price, I mean, you're going to be pretty excited. Shout out to Kevin Wheeler in the chat. He's asking your current thoughts on Curtis Samuel. Samuel is somebody who I think is just really tricky because we haven't seen him healthy very often. We don't necessarily think that he's capable of a full, well-rounded wide receiver role. They have some more competition there now. The offense is bad. The quarterback is bad. So, I mean, he's he's going to be somebody who is probably an end-of-the-roster type of player. At the same time, I mean, he's in a coaching staff that really likes him. Players do get healthy <laughs> sometimes, even after they've struggled for multiple seasons. He's extremely athletic. He's someone who's fun to take a risk on at that price, but, I mean, he's, he's definitely an end-of-the-roster kind of guy. J.D., you have that uh, that board for the um... – Yeah, Dan, Dan's got it because for yeah. some reason it's I can't get it big enough it, for you guys. It, yeah, it, and better. real quick too, I just, just – you know, on the, on the David Bell thing, you know, one one thing to keep in mind too, I, you know, and I think I think Sean and Curtis were, were very sharp taking Bell there where they did, uh, is you not only have to look at where, where does a pick fall in the totality of the NFL draft, but also where does he fall, uh, you know, just in that team-specific uh, – you know, what, what they have available to them draft wise, like Cleveland only had third round picks available. Uh, you know, it was impossible for them to take David Bell in the first or second round without trading up for him, which they knew they weren't going to need to do, you know, so he was actually the third player that they drafted uh, in the third round. And so that, that gives him kind of, I think a little bit more draft capital in a certain way than, uh, you know, a, any other third round wide receiver, who might have, um, you know, had teams that had, you know, three, four picks in the first, second rounds. So you have to think about it in that way as well. So that was just my thought on that. Okay, so this is uh, this is the draft board of the 750 Triflex that we just completed, Theo and, um, and Andrew. And um, Andrew and I... We pushed a lot of our we, we, we pushed a lot of our um, action more towards next year than this year, though we left ourselves some outs to still compete this year. I guess is the best way to say it. Whereas Theo, I think, is more firmly in the let's let's go win this this year. Uh, yeah, range. I traded my my first rounder and my second rounder for next year, so this uh, I I went for it with this draft big time. <laughs> but so so yeah, go ahead. You know, I I think um, you know. Kind of the big question is, you know, just looking at this board, Sean, and, you know, I know we're kind of hammering with hammering you with it. Uh, but, you know, as you're looking down this board, you know, what what players really stick out to you as being really good values? What players really stick out to you as being real reaches in this format? It's interesting to see the the weak quarterbacks and the old quarterbacks go in round five it, it gives you a sense of just how valuable they still are i've got a lot of mac jones and zach wilson from last season when they were less expensive and then wilson was obviously awful and jones is somebody who you're you're kind of struggling to see that ceiling now the interesting part in a superflex is just that even without the ceiling the quarterbacks are very very valuable but i think that there is an element there where this current group of rookies, we know that they basically may not play. And so obviously your value goes to zero, but you don't have to be good as a young quarterback to have trade value the next season. That's pretty interesting. So that part of it, 
you like to see. The other thing here that does jump out is kind of where some of these fun running back names are. You have J.K. Dobbins in the fifth. You have Travis Etienne in the sixth. Kenneth Walker there. And then you contrast that with some of the, the veterans like Dalvin Cook and Derrick Henry received an offer today during drafts, which was a cook for ETN. And originally I was thinking to myself, well, this is kind of an intriguing offer because the person is wanting to get rid of cook so much that they're actually giving some other things. And then I looked at it more closely and realized they wanted some stuff back. It's like, well, I'm not going to make that move because ETN and cook are, are pretty evenly valued. And I say that as somebody who in leagues that are more than a year old, I have a ton of Dalvin cook because heading into the 2020 season. I mean, he looked like somebody who was going to absolutely explode. And unfortunately he did because then again, what you see here in these drafts is very difficult to get out of the running backs, even when they're still playing well. I mean, you're not going to be able to trade them and get value back. And so you've got to factor that into, you know, how you approach the startup. And I mean, the thing that's so fun about dynasty and running backs is how do you score points at the position and yet leave yourself guys that you can move. And Dynasty is, is really so much about the trade value that your roster represents, even more than the scoring. I mean, the scoring is going to track it pretty closely, but the trade value is going to determine how you continue to grow and separate as opposed to run into this kind of cliff. But that dynamic in the triflexes and in just all of the rookie drafts is, is very fun. Maybe we could scroll down a little bit um, on this one. We talk about trying to get wide receiver depth, and I feel like this format, it's very hard to catch up at wide receiver. You always see the worst teams in year two are the teams that I feel like maybe push wide receiver too far. They might have really good tight ends and running backs, but you know you have to start three, and you most likely are starting five if your team is good. Um, is there any specific values that really stand out to you to where guys are going? And I will preface this, that this, um, this one went – this one went before the NFL draft. We started it up. So some of the we, values might be a little different. I think we got to what, 12? Tw- it was in the 12? middle. Yeah. 11, 12. Yeah. 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 12, 12, 12, 12 round is where the draft started. So like Drake London went a little lower um, than he would have. But yeah, yeah, you're you're right. There's some of those lower names might be a little pushed up now. But is there any veterans that kind of stand out to you that might be, you know, guys people should be targeting, you know, maybe rounds 10 and below? I guess I, I don't really think that they are. And, and that's, that is one of the, the cool dynamics here. One of the things that we did by trading down is we ended up getting a lot of guys like Fuller and Smith Schuster. Uh, you know, you get some Odell Beckham um, had enough picks that we took on Michael Thomas. And then you're hoping that those guys have this little blip where their value increases a little bit and you can flip them. We were able to do that with some of the players. And then fortunately, you know, Juju is somebody who, did have a value spike there because he goes to the chiefs. I think that what you have to do is you have to move down into sort of the seven, eight, nine range, get a, a lot of guys as a, I think there's the tendency. And, and again, I mean, there's a real tension here because you can only have so many players in this format. You know, you say, okay, well, I've got this great roster, but it's 25 people deep. Those other five guys, I mean, you're going to more or less have to cut. Right. But you can still move down, try and create the volume of wide receivers. And then in year two, I mean, in most of these drafts, we had three or four first round picks. And so you guys were talking about the interesting choices. I, this rookie draft to me was fascinating because I think that London versus Burks 
at the two, three or the three, four, however you're kind of looking at that is just a, a it's so close. And then you have, as you mentioned, Wilson versus Williams is so close. And then this one may be a little bit more controversial, but Olave versus Sky Moore is very close. It's a little bit of that same thing of like David Bell versus Dotson, where you're talking about guys who are drafted in different areas. But I mean, Sky Moore was better than about five guys who went ahead of him. He's now going to be playing with Patrick Mahomes. So that portion of it, and we actually had a number of times where we, we tried to move down that one slot and actually got close several times and even had a trade offer pulled back. I don't know if the other manager there was just thinking, actually, I'm okay with Sky Moore. I don't want to move up. Or if he ran across something that said, you know, Sean and, and his co-managers, they might actually just take Sky Moore, which we did, and we'll get Olave without having to pay. And so that part of it but then you add those three rookies into the team that you had and suddenly now you're saying okay well, we're stacked at wide receiver i think that that is the way to do it as opposed to once you get into those double digit rounds i mean you're, you're kind of adding players that i don't think are going to help your team so you're you're i think wanting to pivot back to sort of the contingency based qb plays and maybe start to build out your running backs again at that point Move down past the tenth round, Dan, just to see kind of yeah. what we're looking at for that. Well, well, yeah, one, so, sorry, Dan. Before you do that, I, can, I, can I ask about the stupidity of people, Sean? I, can, can you look at round seven or round six? Garrett Wilson, Jamison Williams, Drake. Like they're going. They're going to go in the third and fourth round. We just saw that, Dan, or fourth and fifth round. Like, like yep. it was literally everyone knew it was coming. We just had to have the NFL draft. NFL draft happens. Oh, magically, there are two rounds, but like. Like we we learn no lessons. Like th- this is like a huge discount. I, anyways, I don't know what this is. Maybe it's like just a plug to drafting on the FFPC or Rotoviz Triflex before the NFL draft or, or what this is. But like this is very clearly values in that round six to me. Of like we all know that they were going to be pushed up, and to get those rookie wide receivers in round six was just like an unbelievable value compared to you know the drafts that are going to go off now um, for for startups um, after the NFL draft. Yeah, really is a little bit different, but it's going to be hard to trade to a Mac Zach Wilson for those guys. At this yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well said. Uh, yeah, it, it, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, like I, as I was looking at the Triflex boards and all that kind of stuff, you know, rounds two, three, and four, I just really haven't had that much interest in most of the players who are going in that range. Uh, you know, there's a few definitely, but when you can trade down and you can get multiple fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth round picks and – you know, just really jam a lot of picks into that range, you know, even the ninth round, uh, you know, that, that to me makes a lot more sense uh, rather than, you know, trying to, to string up, um, you know, a couple of telephone poles in the third and fourth round and then hang a bunch of lower guys in between them. You know, you can, you can get down there and you can just, you know, you can just look, it's like shooting fish in a barrel in the sixth, seventh, eighth round. So that's, that's kind of the strategy I've tried to go with. Yeah, and I thought that's a great point by Dan because a lot of times, and I'm not sure how the, the current startups are, but I know that Dan and I were talking about how it's almost like a like a big tear break once you get to like a certain wide receiver and then it just sort of ends. It's like, yeah. and it's all league specific for sure, but like you start getting super excited to get like Hunter Renfro in the 11th round um, and then it kind of just dies off. So yeah, it's really hard, hard playing catch up. And those rounds are definitely the money ones for getting your like wide receiver threes. 
what what are the biggest mistakes you're seeing people making? Um, we could start off in in general dynasty. What are the biggest mistakes you see people make? Um, you know, during startup drafts, and then we can kind of pivot it over to to the triflex format, Sean. Yeah, I think that the tricky part with the startup is just that you do have to draft in such a way that you have multiple paths to victory. And a lot of that is going to come through youth. It's going to come through trade value. It's going to come through taking some contingency based plays as opposed to low ceiling plays that again, it's going to be hard for them to help your starting lineup. But the other mistake I think that people can make, I mean, you essentially have two ways to approach dynasty startups that will work, right? The one is you relentlessly trade back and try and build for the future. The other one is that you aggressively trade up and in. But when you do that, you still have to take young players and you still have to pass on these veteran values that look so appealing because the actual point differences are going to be very mild. And if you move in and move up and have a lot of young stars, then you'll, you can win right away but you can also move back out of those players and build your depth through the next three or four years in such a way that, I mean, you were good at the beginning and you were good always. So, I mean, it's kind of a win-win, right? And it depends on the individual league, just, just how powerful you can be with that. But if you trade in and trade up, but take the veteran values in two years, your team is going to be bad. And then you're left with this question of like, how long am I going to be bad? And it's, it's much more difficult to rebuild than it is to, not compete in year one because if you don't compete in year one you can build a juggernaut if you rebuild that takes forever and your upside is still probably just being so 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 i think that that would be the thing is if you go aggressively for year one still take the young players even if you think you're giving up some tiny advantages because there's a you know 29 year old star there that maybe is better or at least seems safer than the 23 year old potential star it doesn't even really matter how those guys play in that year though the following season even if the star the 29 year old star is good and the 23 year old is iffy the 23 year old is still worth more and so you still have more options for the next for the next season so that, i guess that would be the mistake basically anytime you take old players in dynasty it just kills you right so in other words like uh you know to put a couple names to it um jalen waddle over tyree kill i think so and i mean the one guy who is the uh, it, probably the, the toughest question and has been for a while is Travis Kelsey, right? Right. Because you're talking about someone who seems ageless, who is still playing very well, even though last year was not as good. And I mean, just the gap from those elite tight ends. So you're sitting there like in the third round and you're thinking, okay, is one player here worth it? Can I, can I move out of that overall approach for one guy and build the rest of the team that way? I think that's an interesting question because there are going to be some situations, especially if you're talking about, look, I mean, I've got too many players anyway. I mean, can you have one out of your 20 guys kind of outside that fit? That part of it is interesting. But the fact that you've aggressively moved up to start with, you're not going to have quite those same issues with the 20 roster spots. So that part of it factors into. Right, exactly. You know, and then, you know, so like other other examples would be like an A.J. Brown versus uh, uh, a Cooper Cup or uh, – 
Diggs versus or uh, Rashad Bateman versus Deontay Johnson, which one of us right. may have done today and feels really bad about and is looking for validation on air and is hoping for the best when they say that. <laughs> well, Deontay, no good. validation, oh. so I'm going to go back on mute. Thanks all. <laughs> Make them feel better, Sean. Deontay Johnson's good, and the quarterback play has to get better. I mean, it's basically impossible for it to get worse, right? I mean, he's the guy there out of that group. Chase Claypool gets hit by Pickens, but Deontay Johnson is, is still going to be the star. Uh, okay, yep, noted. And then is there any other – like Cooper Cup is, is kind of an interesting one because he, we, we, we fully, we're taking him as a – either the wide receiver one over overall in redraft at the lowest, he's wide receiver three overall in redraft in every single league, but he's getting a little bit older. How, how are you valuing him in a startup? One of the ways that I like to look at it is anytime that you add someone to your roster, you need to be able to play them for two years and capitalize on their high scoring level and then at that point be able to trade them at still more or less peak value. So if you're looking at a guy and you think that you're going to play him for two years, but then after those two years, his value will have declined, you probably want to go in a different direction. Now, I mean, one of the things with the older wide receivers is you do see some of these wide receiver profiles will score well into their early 30s. And so if you're talking about like 27, 28, I mean, you could have a four or five year window where they're very good. But when you make those choices, you have to almost be willing to say, look, I'm just going to ride this to zero because whether or not they actually have that scoring time period in their 30s, you're not going to be able to flip. Them. And so you've got to just write it down to where the value disappears, which may make sense again in some very limited situations if the rest of your roster is strong enough and you've created enough options in the rest of your guys. Right. So you- if, you're, if you're trading for Devontae Adams or Stefan Diggs, just be prepared to hold to zero. And do you do you adhere to the age apex in Dynasty, or is it player specific? And is there value to be had in older players as you know more and more Dynasty players you know buy into certain age apexes, and you know a lot of very smart people are on them. Yeah, I, I mean, the, one of the things that has always helped me or one of the things i talk about is that you want to do what you do well and i've always drafted the young players well the teams that i've won with and redraft are often younger than what you would consider like a rebuilding dynasty team and so i'm very comfortable with the younger players the older players i think regardless of where you pick them there's there's usually not going to be this ability to outperform their price whether that's sort of the adp or it's the trade value now i mean if you get into some of these situations where people are basically giving them away for free. The question is almost not even the trade cost, but the roster slot cost because you're rostering them instead of someone else who is going to increase in value. And so, I mean, even if you were able to like several years ago, trade it for a TY Hilton for nothing, then you still burn that roster spot by having him on your team as opposed to somebody else. And the likelihood that those guys actually win your league for you is i mean the the extra points and if they come at the right time and you're talking about such a narrow type of path right the the way that you're going to win titles is getting is putting yourself in in position to get a buy every season now they're going to be more than like one other good team in your league and so maybe you come in third come in fourth sometimes you don't get that buy 
But as opposed to saying, I could add this player, he gives me a very marginal increase in starting lineup points in the short term, but he blows up my trade value. He sucks away a roster spot. And I mean, he's probably actually not going to help, right? If my team is built well, how is that guy going to actually improve my scoring in the semis and the finals other than just randomly? And so you always want to build to try and get the buy every year. You're going to get upset sometimes. I mean, that's I mean, we've all experienced where you have the number one seed, you go undefeated maybe even, you have easily the best lineup, and then you have a bad week and week 16 or week 17, you don't win. On the other hand, you know we've had teams that are fifth seed, six teams, they get in there and they get those upsets. Hopefully that balances out for you. But for it to balance out, you have to be in a good playoff position with all your teams every year. That makes a lot of sense. Guys, we got to give a quick plug. We, we're talking FFPC. I mean, we all love it. MyFFPC.com, we can't get enough of it, whether it's TriFlex, Best Ball, playing for a million bucks. I don't know, any kind of way you can play fantasy, you'll find it on MyFantasy, MyFFPC.com. If you're not already on the site, make sure you tag one of the goats on the screen and we'll hook you up with an exclusive sign-up offer bonus. Best ball tournaments, guys. Dynasties are flying. We're talking TriFlex tonight. Go check it out. If you're not playing on FFPC, you're missing out big time. Yeah, and, and before we get off of uh, you know what we are just talking about with the AJ Apex, if I can just jump in here. Um, the running backs. Um Right now in Dynasty, there are so many running backs, you know, like the, you know, the, all the good running backs are, you know, in the age 25 plus range for the most part. Um, how are you handling that in Dynasty, Sean? Are you so just true. totally avoiding them or where, where are you going with them? Yeah, well, I, I think you have to try and trade them at their peak for a lot because they will bring back a lot. The other issue is just that you had to actually trade them when they were 23, 24. And this is one of the problems with Najee Harris because he basically starts out at that point. I mean, you've got to take the guys and actually play them as rookies and second-year players when they're 21, 22. Trade them at 23, which just seems brutal because there is a scenario where those guys go on to a Marshall Falk or a Ladanian Tomlinson type of career, and then you feel silly forever. But your only other choice is to ride them to zero. And I, I do have a lot of Dalvin Cook right now. You can't move him for anything that actually makes sense because it is going to destroy your starting lineup, and and that's what matters. So in that situation with those guys, I think you have to build in such a way that you can ride specific running backs to zero if you don't get out in time, right? So the first thing you try to do is get out in time if you don't ride the player to zero because, I mean, trading an Alvin Kamara, trading a Derrick Henry, trading a Dalvin Cook, I mean, you're just going to get peanuts back. And... I think in those cases, it just makes more sense to have your lineup built in a way that you can withstand that. Now, if you come in and you take an orphan and you've got those guys on it, then the thing to do is just to work with a lot of your managers. And this is one of the reasons why you take over an orphan, you go in and you, you make, you build relationships with people. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, if someone sends you a good trade offer, you know, kind of try and take that, right? As opposed to <laughs> trying to get that extra little pick. I mean, one of the things... It, that's hard is you know, you'll make a counter offer to someone and they're like, man, this guy just won't take a fair offer. He's always got to win, but you're thinking into it on your side. You're like, I'm probably going to lose this if I don't get that extra little bit. So you're coming at it from two different perspectives, but yeah, I mean, you got to build those relationships up. And then if your team is bad, you do have to still move Henry and Camara and cook for guys that are work, 
but you, you have to understand it's, I mean, it's probably not going to be what you want because everyone is seeing that trajectory and, you know, knowing that you're, you're kind of stuck in this position where you can't get everything you'd like. So what you're saying then, Sean, is you're not going to trade us uh, Christian McCaffrey or Dalvin Cook in the pros versus Joe's leagues for any kind of a discount. Man, we've, we've been trying, I mean, I love Dalvin Cook. Curtis does not believe in his ability to stick, which I mean, he gets hurt all the time and he's old. So <laughs> that only makes sense. So I mean, we've been trying to move Cook. We can't, I mean, he just doesn't have the trade value that his points would suggest. And so that's, that's tricky. I think you can move McCaffrey. I'm looking to move McCaffrey for huge deals in a variety of leagues. That part is, is also tricky because, you know, the other side's like, we want McCaffrey, but we can't give our whole roster. And so you, you got to work with it. I've, I've seen a lot of interesting McCaffrey trades over the last three months. It's definitely possible to move them. If you have them, it's definitely possible to acquire them if you don't, but you got to work at it because it's, it's a tricky deal to do. Are you that was uh, be my, my follow-up to Dan's to Dan's question was the McCaffrey one. I feel like that's that's like the the one right now where it's it's like a fantasy litmus test, um, and you can still get a huge package for him. But it's it you're right. It's it's interesting how some of the trades you're seeing as well. Go ahead, JD. Sorry about that. No, I was going to say, what about my boy JT and our boy 1912 fantasies asking the same thing? He's the one on one right now. I mean, he's twenty three point three. He's peaking like no other mountain out there what do you what do you do with jt right now are you selling for value or you just try to win as many ships as you can with them i mean we only give you the tough questions (laughs) (laughs) that that one is so fun right because all he has to do to lose a ton of value is to come back with the exact same amazing season that he just had in order to maintain or build value, he's got to add a ton of receptions onto his total. Now, I think that's possible. I wrote an article on Rotoviz to that effect, explaining you know, why I think that the evidence backs that, why I think history backs that. I argued that he's going to have even more breakaway runs, that he's going to have more touchdowns, that he has peak Ladanian Tomlinson upside. If you believe that, I mean, you've got to go try and get him in any situation where it makes any sense but you can't destroy the whole rest of your roster for him for, for the reasons that I mentioned. I mean, the, the most likely thing that happens is you go spend all of this, you know, all of your assets in different ways. And then, you know, he gets hurt in week two. And then not only does his trade value go down, but now you're looking at, okay, well, I'm going to chase it next year because I feel like the upside is still there. I'm going to chase it the next year because I feel like the upside is still there. It, it creates a real problem long-term, but I mean, Jonathan Taylor truly, historic generational player if you can get him you have to are are we uh are we good on that one guys i want to pivot to tight end if we could we've talked about a lot of wide receivers and running backs the tight end position is one of the most difficult ones to find value in i I feel like we could all agree on that are there any lessons we should learn from the production we found in tunyon and logan thomas in in 2020 and then in dalton schultz and, and dawson knox last season um, and is there, and how are you, um, assessing the tight end position where you're trying to find, you know, potentially next, next big breakouts? Yeah, I think there probably isn't, but it is interesting that with several of those guys, you've got elite quarterback play. And so, especially I think in best ball, if you're, if you're approaching that type of thing and you're looking at late rounds, 
if you see a situation where an elite quarterback could have any type of target share to his tight end, it, it makes sense to get some shares of that. You, know, you have Logan Thomas and Darren Waller, both guys who emerged late because of other things that were going on in their either lives or careers. You have position changes. You've got these players. We didn't get to see them as young guys because they were tight ends when they were 22, 23. That part of it is a little bit interesting in dynasty. I like having this starting lineup that I think gives me an advantage. And to do that, you have to have a good tight end. It's difficult to pay for a Travis Kelsey, a George Kittle. And so I have a lot of guys on these rosters that I think have a chance to make the jump. So you're looking at people who come in as good prospects. You're looking at the players who are the most athletic and like every year. And, and you guys were talking before the show about Trey McBride in the road of his rookie guide that we just released volume three of uh, we have him well above what his ADP has turned out to be. So that part is kind of interesting with my co-managers. As, as I go through the second rounds of these drafts, I'm having to remind them that we already have like three or four tight ends because we're like McBride has been the highest ranked player on our board for five picks. <laughs> it's like, do we go in again? But I'm talking about again about that roster crunch. Can you draft a fourth or a fifth tight end when you only have 20 players total? So I've got a ton of Albert O, a ton of Pat Fryermuth. He was the pick on every team last year. Have a lot of Mike Kosicki because one of the most athletic tight ends in the NFL, a lot of Noah Fant, a lot of TJ Hawkinson. I mean, those are the guys where, again, if, if you have multiple players, I think your chances, if you, you have to get them a little bit early when they're cheap, but you just have a little bit of patience there. Some of those guys are going to elevate and are going to be the next Kittle, the next Mark Andrews. I, I think that that part of it is more likely to pay off for you than hitting these individual seasons on some of the late round sleepers. Sean, quick OTC. Hunter Henry or Wandale Robinson? It's got to be Wandale, right? I mean, of course it's got to be Wandale. God damn, why would you ever draft Hunter Henry? Holy shit. Uh. I drafted Hunter Henry once, Andrew, and Andrew sent me a nasty text message. We're going against each other in, in, a, in, a, in a startup, and he was like, why the Hunter Henry pick? I'm like, Andrew, it's the 16th round. I needed a backup tight end, and Andrew, I think, was very angry about it. Uh, wait, that wait, dynasty, wait. dynasty or best ball? No, it was the triflex. But the thing was, was I had gotten drunk. This is a total tangent. I had gotten drunk in Dallas uh, the week before Theo. And Dan calls me goes, hey, I really want to go Albert O here in the ninth round of the triflex. And I go, hey, Dan, I'm shook from last year when Theo convinced me to take Hunter Henry in the 10th round of our triflex startup. And Dan, I, I can't do it again. You can't convince me. Now, if you look at that draft board that JD pulled up, Dan convinced me, but I'm like, if we get if we get Hunter Henry on this pick, you're also not going to hear about it for forever. And then Theo, three rounds later, three rounds later, you go Hunter Henry over Wandale. After we were texting about how great Wandale was, anyway. I had I had gone I had gone David Bell before though, true. so I might see right up right there. So this, and, this uh, is a, this this was another pick that I had to hit the button on. Uh, Andrew just was not going to do it. But oh, Albert O or yeah. Wandale? No, Albert O. Oh yeah, I lost my shit. I was like, we can't have we can't have a Hunter Henry situation again. Albert Alberto was a great great pick for you guys. guys I told for sure. Theo what I told Jay, uh, what I told Dan was I'm I, I'm I'm going to be out on Theo startups. I'm going to be out on Dan startups, and I'm only going to do startups with JD from now on. If we if we miss Henry and Alberto in back to back years, <laughs> that's it. That's it for sure. <laughs> Andrew's very unforgiving. 
But yeah, I, I think you know. Let's 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 jump back into the tight ends just a little bit, and and some of those late guys. Like uh, you know, for me, Cole Komet has been one of those smashes just in in pretty much uh, any format, whether you're talking dynasty, best ball, whatever. Uh, you know, just because of looking at how the target tree is likely to shake out in um, in Chicago. Uh, you know, he already had 95 targets. I mean, if you can get over 100 targets as a tight end the odds are extremely good. You're going to finish his top six. And last year he had like 95 targets and didn't score a single touchdown. Um, and I just can't see that happening again. So for me, you know, Komet is like one of those guys you're looking for Alberto in a different sort of way, kind of one of those guys you're looking for. What do you think, Sean, on, on some of those guys, are there late round targets you really, um, trying to snipe in the, you know, the mid to late rounds on tight end. Man, I need everybody to, Listen to that last segment because I have almost 100% Cole Komet and to the point where I need some diversification and need some roster spots, I need trade partners. So Cole Komet, he's vastly undervalued. I need to trade him, but I don't want to trade him at market because the market is not correct. No. Yeah. Definitely not. Shout out to Billy Muzio last week. is very good with his, his projections on targets. And he has Cole Komet at like 130 plus right now, uh, potentially more for this season. So that's uh, it's exciting. Yeah, I have plenty of Cole Komet. I've, I've, I've jumped on Dan's recommendation of this year. I've tried to add as much Cole Komet as possible. So that's, that's good to hear we're all, we're all on that one. I just wanted to pick your brain on your expectations. We, we touched on the names a little bit, but what are your expectations? We had so many, so much movement at the wide receiver position, especially with some of these bigger names, Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams, A.J. Brown, and we'll throw Hollywood Brown in there. Um, what are your expectations for, for those guys in their new situations? I like all of those. I think that they should work out pretty well. When you look at Devontae Adams, right, and – we've got some great tools to look at expected points for me. And it's even more helpful, obviously at running back, but you look at the expected points, it gives you a feel for what the range of outcomes are. It translates the volume into scoring, which is what we care about 18.7 over the last couple of years, but the fantasy points over expectation of 5.2 is where he gets into these crazy numbers. And so you say, well, I mean, Aaron Rodgers, that connection, some of the passes that Rodgers has thrown to him when he's not open until the very last second when somehow the ball feathers down into his hands. Can Derek Carr do that? I mean, Derek Carr is good. He was actually the guy that I was going to mention in terms of sort of a QB2 target. You should probably have Derek Carr in every league that you possibly can where the price isn't uh, something that keeps you out of play. I mean, the price is obviously the thing that matters there. But Carr is good. Obviously, they played together before. That's the storyline. I think that the role with the Raiders is going to be better than people think. I think that Derek Carr is going to be better, but you're going to have a hard time matching this insane efficiency level he's had in the past. Tyreek Hill, the EP numbers and the fantasy points over expectation are a little bit lower. I mean, he's in that 16.5 range over the last two years. 2020, very efficient. 2021, they miss on almost all of those passes that they hit on the previous year. I think that he's going to do well in Miami. I think that attack is going to be very explosive, but he does move down into more of a second round type of value. Brown, uh, the two Browns are, are interesting and exciting because AJ Brown goes from this really unfortunate low target situation as a passing attack to another one 
but perhaps one that could have a little bit of this Baltimore Ravens-esque flip. Now, to expect that full flip <laughs> would be hoping for something that's extremely unlikely, but they're going to be more pass-heavy. He's going to be the perfect uh, guy there to take their team to the next level. When you look at his EP over the last couple of years, just down there at 13, scores almost three points above that to get into that 16 range. I think the EP numbers can go up. And then Marquise Brown, I mean, all you have to do is, is think to yourself, like, do you really believe he's going to drop all of those touchdown passes again? Because there are going to be more of those. He's going to get open. The Cardinals offense is going to score a ton of points. The, the question and the interesting thing as fantasy managers is how do you want to play it? What are the best prices who gets hurt and unlocks other guys? We have this Hopkins suspension, which I think is going to launch, obviously, James Conner and then Marquise Brown early. It should also launch Rondell Moore. We're dreaming and desperate for that to happen. Then Hopkins comes back, and you've got all of the guys. And then you have you know Trey McBride and Zach Ertz. I mean, <laughs> we don't want to push the price up on Trey McBride if people are going to give, us, give, give him to us at 207, 208, 209. But – I mean, you're talking about a guy who was unstoppable in college, you know, runs mid four fives at his pro day is going to be in this offense long-term with Kyler Murray that uh, again, they're going to be the one of the three or four highest scoring teams in football, not just next year, but for a long time. So you want to have some exposure to those players. Brown is interesting because some of these trades I think were, were pretty fun and they help because we talked at the very beginning of the show about zero running back and one of the problems. Well, the problem right now is that rounds three and four, where you can usually dominate are soft and then five and six as a result, because these guys are pulled up. They're not as strong as you want to execute that. Having Brown change teams move there. Bateman also move up as a result. It makes it more viable now than it was two weeks ago because we are starting to get a little bit of definition and not just definition, but definition in a good way where these guys should score some points. I wanted to um, touch on one recent article that you wrote that I think will help a lot of players that are currently in like the fourth round of their rookie drafts and it's starting to wind down a little bit here. Um, Sean writes a, a great article every August that is the zero RB candidate list. It's terrific. Everybody reads it. But you also wrote this article here looking for the next Elijah Mitchell. Maybe you could share kind of your process um, to try to identify some of these super sleeper backs and maybe give us one of them. So this is this is kind of embarrassing because I was in a, a big industry league where we're in the fourth round and I wanted one of these guys. And so I, I make the, the, I'm going to trade the 410 for the 401 and a future fourth. And I got all of these emails a little bit later asking me if I expected the league to fold or what was happening because I had inadvertently actually traded uh, like a 2024 first round pick in order to get up for the 401 and select ty chandler and so i'm like well no i just i mean i'm really high on ty chandler being the guy who is going to be this year's elijah mitchell now the, the thing that's fun about these guys is this this is a deep draft of smaller running backs who tested really well and when you're talking about guys who are in that 210 and lighter range you want them to be in the four threes and at the very least you want them to be that four four five and under we have a variety of guys deep in drafts but chandler somebody who breaks out after making this transfer 
He has Khalil Herbert and Mitchell as his top two comps in the Rotoviz box score scout. He has Jamal Charles as his top physical comp in our workout explorer. Now, I mean, obviously he's not going to be Jamal Charles, but he might be vaguely like Elijah Mitchell. You're talking about somebody who came off a very good season, has this physical ability to make big plays, can be an NFL running back, better, I think, last year than people realize. And there are three or four names kind of in that range, but I also like the fit, right? Because you have Alexander Madison. He's been this amazing handcuff, but part of that is that it's been, I mean, it's been so awesome for him, but it's been fluky, right? Because in four of the last five games where he's played at least 50% of the snaps, he's finished as an RB1. I mean, you wouldn't expect a superstar to do that. And so, I mean, his actual level is far below that. You look at some of the advanced stats, you pull it up in our advanced stat tool, and you can see that, I mean, Dalvin Cook, one of the things that's cool about him, and I'm probably a little bit on an island here, but I really emphasize the pre-contact numbers for the runners they're actually not as priced into the cost on backs as the after contact numbers are that people, I mean, for good reason, but people really like to look at Dalvin Cook, one of the best before contact runners in all of football, Alexander Madison, one of the worst. If Cook gets hurt at this point, I mean, you're looking at situations where, I mean, it could be somebody else other than Madison who goes in there and puts up the points. I think that you have, Deep in your draft, I mean, obviously you're not going to pay big prices for this, but you have a guy here who could go in and could be a starter and could get some of the high-value touches that we're all looking for in fantasy. I bet, I bet Wheeler was trying to get my uh, – in the OG, which is like a basic 1QB dynasty, but it's the most competitive, I'd say, in the, in the GOAT leagues. I was on the clock at the 503 in this rookie draft, and he, he wanted my, my 503 – I'm pretty sure he'll correct me if I'm wrong here, but I, he was sending me like a 2023. I wanted his 2023 fourth and he didn't take it. So I took Ty Chandler at 503. I mean, I feel good about it. Yeah. Feeling better now, huh? Feel even better now. Exactly. Thanks, Theo. Yeah. I mean, you know, Ty Chandler is good, but Brian Kovacs, you're, real, you're really going to want John Hartag. Dan loves uh, those deep guys in the. In the I, in the I, I, I do. I, I, I like. Brian Kovac a lot as well. Um, I think the Vikings hit a couple really good late round, you know, well, basically free options with uh, Chandler and uh, and Brian Kovac was basically free, uh, undrafted free agent. There's a, there's a couple of fun running backs, you know, when you look at Jerome Ford, like the, the Ingrams, you know, in those late, late rounds, they're fun to take shots on. It's the ultimate galaxy brain draft, guys. There's lots of running backs <laughs> exactly. you can see, like, just coming through. Exactly. All right, we'll give a quick, quick plug before uh, – and I didn't even ask our guest. Sean, did you have, like, a hard out or anything? We, we just uh, – we don't want to keep you no, I'm longer than we done. Awesome, awesome. Guys, underdog fantasy. We're, we're talking FFPC. You don't want to miss anything on the FFPC, but you want to complement it with some underdog and just get the action going on your mobiles, your laptops. They got a monster tourney right now. The Best Ball Mania 3 playing with $10 million in prizes, a million bucks to the highest scoring team through round one. And then I believe it's another million, correct me if I'm wrong, for the grand champion. Is that correct, boys? It sounds uh, right. Yeah. yeah. All right. There I, you go. I, I think that's what it is. All right. Beautiful. It, it, you guys, it's, it's, it's a lot of money. 
more than you're going to spend a ton of money. Yeah. And and like I say, it's, it's wife changing money. It's the type of money that even your girlfriend or your wife will, will appreciate you playing fantasy football. Once you uh, get her that Hermes uh, purse or whatever it is that she, she wants, uh, you know, as, as her souvenirs for your wins. But, uh, and if you're in other sports guys, the NHL playoffs are on right now, the NBA playoffs, baseball started, they got fun for all the sports underdog right now use the code district for your first sign up bonus of up to a hundred dollars in your face did, did i Guys, see that they're doing f1 now too I, am i am i crazy maybe, maybe i should fact check myself because if oh, so jd we, we we gotta start up an f1 dm so dude i'm all about it i'm, download, I'm f1 from you my wife and I, F1 is like, it's the only sport I can really get her into. She's yeah. super into it. So we are like, we watch practice, qualifying. It's a whole weekend event for us here in the Well, world. let me tell you this, Jenny. Either they're doing it now or I dreamed it. And if they're not doing it, we're going to sell them the idea. Well, that? I know uh, there you go. I know DraftKings had one, but I got to be okay. a t-shirt. Right, this. Right, right. Andrew, there's got to be a t-shirt. This, uh, print the damn shirt. Yep. Yeah, we got it. We got it. We got a handful of shirts right now in the, the waiting list to, to get printed. <laughs> they're, they're, they're all my intern's notepad right now. <laughs> Sean, they said they'd give me an intern and I, they're going to have to follow me around. <laughs> like mass ideas. They're going to screen the ideas and then do uh, implement the best ones. That's perfect. Sean, I have a question for you. Uh, we're, we, you know, as you could tell, we're all degenerates on here. And I couldn't get the 250 uh, triflex to start for the life of me. That wasn't the best ball. But I noticed the best ball dynasty kept refilling. And we're a little hesitant on the, the best balls. I mean, we've all tried it. We're, we've all been in leagues with the dynasty best balls. I, I want to know, like, what? sell me on the dynasty best ball aspect. At, you know, I, I feel like there's either something I'm missing. I just feel like once you do the draft, it's hard to really stay engaged in the league. I'm wondering if you have a different experience with that. Well, yeah, I, both of those things are true. One, one of the things that I found was that I drafted a team in the FFPC best ball tournament redraft last year with Colin Kelly on Rotoviz overtime with our managing editor at Rotoviz, Blair Andrews. And that team did well and was advancing through the playoffs. And then I found it was actually very easy to follow as opposed to the vast majority of it, every once in a while you check in and you're like, okay, so I guess these guys I drafted a long time ago have scored points and my team is toward the top. That's great. When the team does well, it, it does become a lot of fun. And I think Dynasty is so fun that you want to play as much as you can and sometimes you just can't manage all the teams. I mean, the last 72 hours have been unbelievable because I've basically <laughs> been in Rotoviz Triflex rookie drafts the entire time, sending hundreds of trade offers. In one of the leagues, Ben and I actually were able to, to move quite a bit. We made like five first-round trades, which is pretty impressive because there aren't that many actual players in, in one first round. Um, and that's incredibly exciting. And yet at the same time, it does wear you down a little bit. And then you get into the regular season, you're like, I spent like entire days of my life back in May doing this. And now I can't, I don't have time to do waivers or to set the starting lineup. I mean, that part of it is tricky. And so I think that if you add some best balls in here, it's perfect because you can just do more. And that's what we're kind of all looking for is to be able to do more without it 
like costing us our jobs. I mean, I'm trying to like get my article published today. Like I hope there aren't mistakes in it because I've got to go back and make five more trade offers. <laughs> so I think that when you're looking at that and you're thinking about the regular season, best ball is awesome because you get to do all the fun of drafting and trading at that point. And then you don't have to do the hours and hours in season. It depends a little bit on how many leagues you have, but like you mentioned, degenerates, I'm sure we all have, you know, 30, 40, 50 teams. And, you know, you get to Tuesday night and Wednesday morning and it's just like, I don't want to get up and do 10 hours worth of waivers. Best ball, you don't have to. So, I mean, it's a pretty huge selling point. I, I just question. figure if anyone could sell me on it, it's Sean Siegel, right? And I and I want to be sold on it because I want to I want to degen into them, you know. One uh, oh, one man. one question, yeah. one comment. Out of a hundred trade offers, how many of uh, them were initiated by you versus Ben? Is it like ninety ten <laughs> split? Well, ninety five five seventy five twenty five. Yeah, I mean, in each of these leagues, you know, there'll there'll be different people who are more responsible for some portion of it. And so, yeah, I I right. sent out most of the trade offers, but it's it's kind of, it, it's I love doing these co-managed yeah. teams. It's both the best and the worst. You know, it's like a <laughs> because you get to go through all of this with one of your best friends. I, I'm doing one with Blair, one with Monty, one with Ben, and. I mean, I think the teams end up being better. It's more fun, but it is exhausting, right? Because like, okay, so I got this great deal. I got to run it by this person. I got to run it by that person. <laughs> Just, so that part of it can be can be tricky as well. But I, I mean, you can play more leagues if you co-manage with your your best friends. And the Triflex, it goes up to the 1250. I've had people tell me, I can't verify this, but I've had people tell me the 1250 is softer. And so, yeah. Oh, right. I, I think I, I think he's trying to entice you guys, Theo. And he's trying to get you guys so. to go up a, a level. Well, my well, my comment was going to be I had I had flight delays getting uh getting to where I'm going, and, and Theo, I was just like I would call Theo every couple hours. Uh, he's you know talk to me. It was uh, and Theo, you, you nailed it. it. If it if it wasn't for all those rookie drafts and our triflex, the, the twelve fifty that you and I are co-managing, I absolutely would have even lost my shit more at the airlines uh, than, than, <laughs> than, than than I did. Uh, Andrew, no, almost, Andrew, Andrew almost enjoys the flight delay because he gets to, you know, look at his dynasty roster even more with that perfect internet and all that. That's right. Such a degen. And, and, and Dan knows I was antagonizing, you know, all my leagues. I was just hitting with the hashtag not a poor. I made sure every single one of them knew that I was rich enough to buy a in-flight Wi-Fi. Whenever I see like, as a total side note, whenever I see someone being like, hey, hey guys, sorry, my pick's going to come in a couple hours. I, I'm about to board a flight. I just say, hey, you're in a fucking 750. Just buy the buy the in-flight Wi-Fi. Or by the way, I don't believe in that for for a second. They just want to sit on the clock for a little bit longer. So and, and anyway, nevertheless, I, I, I totally do it so I can sit on the clock. I don't, I don't care, you know. Yeah, I, just tell them, hey, I'm sitting on the clock. Not, yeah. hey, I'm boring a flight. Sorry, guys, I'm out, I'm out of communication. Just like, hey, I'm I'm sitting I'm sitting here. Yeah, without right. a doubt. And and one of the things I think one of the keys to uh, you know co-managing leagues because we all do it is, you know, if if one player is going to say no, don't check with the other one. I mean, if, you know, if it's a no for you, it's a no, right? You know, because and, unless it's a, a very rare circumstance, the other player is probably not going to, going to overrule you or talk you into it or whatever, you know. But if you're looking at something, you're going, yeah, it's an obvious no. You can cut a lot of the communication and just 
you know what? I, you know, I, I'll, I'll send a note to JD all the time. JD, I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm just gonna decline this trade because I don't want to do it. And uh, you know, he does the same thing. You know, he, he'll decline trades because he doesn't want to do it. And he, we both know we're not going to try to talk each other into it. You know, it's, it's more the ones that were like, oh, maybe that's an interesting trade. Those are the yeah. ones we're going to talk about. And I think it is great to have you know partners on, on teams, not not for all of them, but for for some. Uh, you know, when we start talking about high volume of teams and, you know, Sean's in 30 or 40 teams, you know, even like a waivers where, you know, I'll handle waivers, you know, on the first run and then Andrew might hit, handle them, you know, for the second run, you know, setting lineups when one person's not available. It does help even at like, you know, the super competitive leagues. And to Sean's point on the softness of occasional high stakes leagues, there may or may not have been a Malik Willis go off the board at a 106 in a in a twelve fifty oh, that we will oh, not name. Damn. Yeah. So so it happens. It happens. Uh, and that allowed Andrew and I to get Jamison Williams at seven overall. Sean, we, we were trying happy. to move up one pick. We had one oh five and one oh seven. We were trying to move up one pick just so we can go Wilson Jamison. And we all I mean it was a small trade. We we're gonna offer the Theo said off from the third. We didn't have a third. I offered the fourth and Dan knows this I probably would have done that anyway. So he says off of the third, I'm gonna offer the fourth or fifth. We didn't. The guy declined and he snap picked Malik Willis. Is like, well, okay, you're an idiot. We gave him free money because he just had Malik Willis and a and a, and a and a pick. Anyways, yeah. So it does happen. It does happen. Yeah. I, I got a question for Sean, and and you guys can all jump in after. But we're talking trades while we're drafting, especially with like these triflex startups with these big money leagues. We're talking about rounds we want to move into, move back to. Sean, any tips or any you know ideas on if you're if you're one of these players right now in these startups, you want to move back? Any kind of guidelines with regards to these trades? You know, like some people say, if you're if you're going to move for future uh, picks, at least get something that's going to pay you now. Or do you have any kind of guidelines that you go to, or any tips just on how how to get this this movement uh, through in these startups? If you're someone listening right now. Well, you guys mentioned earlier kind of the, some of those ranges that are pretty strong. Well, the thing I would say is if you're in a startup and you're moving back, move back and not out, right? Because you can move back a number of rounds, pick up that future first and still pick a guy who is good and you'll build out a team that's pretty strong and it'll fast forward your build by you know at least a year, if not more by doing that as opposed to trading out of say round six, you know, you move back, from round two to round seven or, or what have you. And, and you just have to work through it with different people. One of the things that is frustrating is that there's a really bad trade that happens at the very beginning and then everybody anchors to that. Then that can make the whole draft difficult because no one wants to get worse value. And yet as you're trying to move, move through the draft, you're like, I, mean, I can't match that trade because it's just, it's not a good trade. And so I think you just have to have a lot of discussions and explain kind of what you're trying to do, you know, why it works for you, how it works for them. The thing that I find is that if you really are trying to work a trade that helps both sides, I mean, trades should be a win-win for you and a loss for the other 10. I mean, every time that you see trade execution come through and you weren't involved in it, I mean, you should feel like you just lost, right? Because in all likelihood you did. It was either a win-win for those two teams or it was a win-lose, which is in some cases even worse because the team that won, now they really have gained ground on you. And so you want to work through and make it so that you're the person people come to because you know they know that you will try and help them accomplish their objectives. 
You'll work within the general framework of what the market is. That doesn't mean that you're going to go to a trade calculator and say, okay, this is the trade. This is what the trade calculator says. Because, I mean, I always try to explain to people, like, these are the prices that I have on the players. It's not necessarily market. The reason I have them in the first place is because I'm above market on them. And even if I'm willing to move them, I'm still above market on on most of my guys. And I'm assuming the reason you're coming to me is because you're also above market. Now, there may be somebody on your team that we're both above market on too, and so we can make that match, but it has to be something like that. I mean, you can't go to some third-party app and say, okay, this is what we're going to make the price on. Then you know, trade discussions derail pretty quickly because you, you, just, you have to have the flexibility to actually work what the values are for the two people involved, not some you know, arbitrary other element. But I think as you go through that, if you are comfortable with how you're building your team, you're moving back into ranges you still like, you're going to come out ahead. We do have a cool setup with our trade rankings or our not trade, but our dynasty rankings on the site where we have them tiered and the tiers represent what we think that the players are worth in terms of picks. And so you can go through and get a sense from those tiers, at least where we would move the different people. And it, and that's going to give you sort of a rough trade approximation as well as a ranking and as well as the tiers, which people obviously like tiers. And so, you know, if you're, trying to get a sense of how we would structure the drafts, you can go to that tool. And I think the tier element of it is pretty helpful. I, I, I love that. I was, uh, I was looking at a couple of trades. I'm not going to mention the first one because it's just not, not a realistic trade to get. Uh, but I was looking to move down from the one Oh something, one Oh six to that early mid second. And I think that that trade calculator, just to give their trade value chart or whatever you want to call it, Sean, just to give you credit. was like really helpful because especially when you put like players names to it, I think that, um, you know, I was, I was trying to go 106 for like a 203 plus a 2023 first, which is about my break even part, maybe like 20, maybe 205 is, would have been my break even. But I love doing that, right? Because you replace a, a, a pick with a name. Maybe you wouldn't, and I got no, no takers, absolutely no takers, but then you replace names and I ended up going Kyler at the 106. If I do Kyler for Trevor Lawrence in a 2023 first, I think that gets done all day long. I think that you know, somebody with Trevor Lawrence would be willing to, to pay that. But in the draft, when the, when these had pick values to them, nobody was willing to do that. So I just thought that was really interesting, but it was, it was a very helpful guide to kind of think about those tiers and kind of how many 2023 first seconds or, or whatever it was, uh, is, is a player worth. So I, so I, I thought that was really helpful as I, is it guided me through the first couple of rounds there. All right, guys, we're at a buck 30. Sorry, Sean, go ahead. Well, and one of the things I think can be helpful too is I think a lot of times people want to accomplish the entire objective with one move. And that can be nice because not everybody wants to spend all day and all night with it. But if, if you do have fun with it and you do have the time to, to make some of the moves, you move down a little bit and then you can move down a little bit further. You take the small trade. Sometimes the big trade isn't there, but if you have these, I mean, you, you don't always have to go by the trade value either. If you actually have two guys, even, you know, move back, even if you don't get much, then maybe you've, the, the pool has gotten shallower now. Now maybe somebody wants to come up and yeah. make the move, or maybe they don't. But you can get more value out of it if you move multiple times. And this is another reason why I try to be as, as friendly as possible with all of this stuff. I mean, number one, obviously, it's just good practice <laughs> being a good person. But it, if I'm making a lot of little trades, that takes a long time. I don't want people to get too frustrated with me for being on the clock all day. I wanted to throw this uh, to finish this off. I know we're, we're at a buck 30 here. We, we try to keep it within we we say we try to keep it within an hour but it's really a buck 30 i think is really our our time 90 minutes um but famous jay 
you know, I, I think Andrew and I, our, our initial reaction is we prefer Michael Carter here. He's saying uh, he sent, he traded Michael Carter for the 301 and then he drafted Kyron Williams, good value. Just your thoughts on the trade and then the move, like just on a, on a more macro level, you know, maybe people making moves that are not necessarily moving them forward, you know, or is that the case here for you? Or do you think this is a, a valid trade? I think that Carter for the 301 is interesting because there are some players going in the third round who have more value. And I do think that moving out of running backs who have been hit and or need a specific scenario to take place now in order to score fantasy points or be in a starting lineup, that part makes sense. It's going to be very difficult for Michael Carter to ever be a guy who really ascends long-term. I mean, in best ball, Carter is a fantastic pick because if Brees Hall gets hit in the season, then Michael Carter, Carter could be a league winner. And there is an element of that that helps you in dynasty as well, especially if you built these teams that I have with my co-managers where we essentially have no running backs. So anybody would help. I think Kyron Williams as the, then the selection is a little bit tricky. He's going more in the fourth. He probably is more of a fourth round type of player. He's a, he needs similar types of things to happen and is probably a little bit less, a lesser talent than Carter. I like him a lot as a player. I was glad that his pro day rehab, some of his value and showed that he actually is an NFL athlete. Now, not a great NFL athlete, but someone who can play. He brings a lot of skills to the table. I don't think it's impossible for this to work out, but you can probably use the 301 to either draft someone else or to move back, still get Kyron Williams and get some other things. Anything to add, guys, to the uh, the trader? No, I think that totally makes sense. I think he nailed it. Yeah, no, I think Sean nailed it. Sean nailed it on that one. I, th- I think it's just the Kyron. I don't. I don't mind the trade, but I think it's just the Kyron Williams pick. And I, you, you're totally, yeah, yeah, that's it. Sean, um, I think you know the appreciation for for everything you do for the industry is awesome. I mean, you, I, I see your name on an article, and for me, it's a it's definitely a new tab on my millions of tabs that are open. Cause I want to make sure that I'm going to, I'm going to read through it. Uh, I love your work and uh, stealing bananas. Just the dynamic you have on that show. The two of you is, is awesome. And the discussions you guys get into it is great. Anything else you want to share with the people uh, remind them where they can find you all your goodness uh, that maybe I didn't mention before we close this out. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate that. That's, that's really more than I deserve, but I, I appreciate it very much. Yeah, Ben and I have a blast with Ceiling Bananas. We'd love for anybody to come listen there. Colin Kelly and I record Rotobiz Overtime three times a week, and we've had some pretty uh, fun guests, impressive guests on recently. Some of those episodes are pretty evergreen in terms of how it relates to the rookies. We'll have more episodes this week. The Rotobiz Rookie Guide just came out. Three volumes of that, rankings, mocks, all that kind of thing. Some advanced analytics from Blair, Travis May, Dave Cabin, Curtis Patrick, We'd love you to come check out Rotoviz. Some of the cool things mentioned during the show. I appreciate uh, having the opportunity to talk with you guys and go through some of those things, tease a few of the things that we do. Uh, it's been a blast. Thank you guys for having me on. Awesome, John. Yeah, we we love having you in Wheeler. Uh, you, you said it there, brother. Stealing can uh, stealing <coughs> stealing can stealing bananas is is pure fire. And you guys have been fire tonight in the chat. We appreciate you guys tuning in. Sean, all the goodness. We appreciate your time and all of that. You guys see them all around me. Dan, the overhyped sleeper. No E on the end. The OG fantasy Theo. 
Andrew AMS Schellenberg hanging out in hotels in a in a La Quinta near you. Theo, before we go out, just remind the peeps anything exciting. Do we have anything exciting coming up? Uh, I don't know. So we have we have um, Ian Harditz coming on um, soon, and then we also have a rookie draft review show where it's going to be um, hopefully the four of us, but at least three of us talking about the picks a little bit more of the picks we made actually while on the clock. And we'll have a couple of um, high stakes dynasty players joining us, um, you know, for some segments. And then, you know, we're going to continue a few more of the dynasty focused shows. And then we have a little bit more um, pivot to redraft. We're going to have a lot of the high stakes players that, you know, you listened to on the show, you know, last summer and this past year coming back on and a couple of new ones as well. So we're going to have some really exciting um, you know, May and June podcasts in the GOAT district. For sure, man. And we'll sprinkle in some some balling and some uh, oh, absolutely. In there, here and there. We, we, all, are, all these, we are drafting for sure. Drafting yeah, for man, sure. all these big tourneys. And you guys hear all the drafts we're doing right now. We'll we'll make sure we do some reviews uh, on some of those, even if we're not doing necessarily the live action. Andrew, I feel like you have something just hanging on the tip of your tongue to drop. No, no we got we got to we got to figure out scheduling conflicts. We got to do the review of our uh, revelation draft that we did at FPC yes. last Friday. That's yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, no, shoot, shoot, shoot your shot. You know, Sean, we got to do some collabo content for our uh, Half Million Billies. We're doing some of the main events too. So you got to draft a draft with us this summer. Now you're a recurring guest. You're almost obligated to do that uh, with us. <laughs> and hey, uh, good good news for you, Sean. I was talking to a coworker today and trying to explain what, what I'm doing here right now. I, <laughs> I said that this is Seinfeld, right? Dan, JD, and Theo, or Elaine, Jerry, and George. It, the question for the people, food for thought for the next time I come on, Am I the Kramer or am I the Newman? I, I don't know. You guys tell me, but uh, but I, I I think I think it's I think it's something to be to, to be decided here. So you you got a rare treat, Sean. Uh, showing up here. <laughs> Definitely the Kramer. There's there's no question. Yeah, well, I, I, I just picture you know when he just when he just opens the door, he just comes yes. in the door. Just that's yes, just Joey that's, comes sliding right in. That's Andrew, man. <laughs> we got to end on that, guys. Use the code District on Underdog. Tag us for FFPC myffpc.com. Some sinus bonus. Get your goat gear. I wear this hat all the time just because it's comfy, guys. It's not my only one. I got tons, but it's my favorite one. It's the most comfortable. Check it out, ViridianGlobal.com. Guys, we'll check you all later. District, you know the Pope listens. Dynasty, our religion, for the blokes missing on all of these trades, on all of these plays, on all of these grades. By the end of the day, y'all getting played. So, what you gonna do next? Try to fill up that flex. Send the homie a text. That trash offers the best. You try to make it complex. Then they text you back. Now, all of a sudden, they don't make any sense. <laughs> Broaden your horizons, boy. Dynasty's not for the Simons, boy. Trade's not for consignment, boy. Respect your opponent, y'all some piranhas, boy. This my advice from me to you. Open up your cute little podcast queue. Search up G-O-A-T District, my dude. Pop it in your ear, man. Y'all know what to do. It's the... And I always be traded. And I always be traded. And I always be trading. Y'all try to betray them, but first you gotta bait them. Fish. Ha, <laughs> ha,
awesome time, fellas. That was really good. Yeah, that was, was great. Fun. Appreciate I'm gonna go time. pre. I'm gonna go pregame the Stars game now. So I, nice. I, I love you all. See you all soon. Have fun. All right. Bye, so, Steve. I'll call you later. See you, bye. Yep. All right. Have fun later, Andrew. All right. Yeah, so Sean, we got we got to figure out a trade and uh, BBJ if you got a minute. How much time still do we have? Li- still, still live if you guys want to. Uh, yeah, let's do it. Two hours. Yeah, we got trade live. There you go. Let's do it. Do the live trade talk. So <laughs> this is this is the 250 Pros versus Joes. Dan and I are sharing this, and uh, we're on the clock at 207. What's the uh, what's the offer, Dan? Where are we at with this? Let's see. Uh, Sean has offered. Sean and Curtis. Have offered the uh, their 2023 second for this pick, the 207, which I think is you know definitely a fair offer. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna see if we can you know we're trying to help you get off the hook, but we got to get we got to get some help from you getting off the hook at running back. Um, <laughs> we are definitely on the hook at running back. Uh, what what would you think about something involving Rashad Penny on this pick? What uh, what what, are, what running backs do you have right now? Oh God, they're they're awful. Um, yes. Do I have do I have to admit it on, uh, live and on air? We have Naeem Hines, yeah. Melvin Gordon, Keyshawn Vaughn, Samir White, and Chris Carson. That's pretty bad, isn't it? Well, it's not ideal for the regular Superflex <laughs> version. <laughs> it sounds it sounds loaded, but for for what I have in the Triplex in some places. But <laughs> so yeah, uh, so R- Rashad Penny would be a player of interest to us here. Is there is there any way we can uh, we can work that into the deal? Well, the problem that we have here is that Penny did win a lot of money for us in best ball at the end of last season so there's that good feeling he's also one of curtis's favorites and so it's a little bit trickier to move your Ah, co-manager's guy obviously it becomes easier now that they have kind of blocker and so what what would be the structure that you're looking for there in terms of in terms of the pick is it something where i mean we've kind of moved into a situation where you don't have a lot of picks in this draft. It's, mm-hmm. it's almost the exact opposite of what I'm dealing with in all of the triflexes where I'm going to end up with like 30 <laughs> and have to somehow <laughs> shave 10 guys everywhere. Um, we're going to end up just around the starting lineup. And that means that during the course of the off season, the team won't be very deep. Uh, what, what about if we moved a couple of, like a later, a couple later picks in this one, um, and it involved Penny somehow. So, because we we probably have more picks than what we need, I would say. Don't you? Think, what if Katie? we, what if we paired Penny with your twenty three second, and then sent back the? Oh, I got too many screens. Let me go back to where I had our <laughs> rosters. Yeah, here we go. And then we send back. Like the two hundred seven, our twenty three third, and like, like and like a third, like a three hundred three or three hundred four that we have coming up. I 
Okay, so I'm sorry. I'm looking at my offer here. So we, we offered you, yeah, basically just our 2023 second for the 207, which obviously there are some interesting guys here. Next year's draft could be better and deeper. That's kind mm-hmm. of the, the little hook potentially. <laughs> right. I'm sorry, JD, say again what you were saying. So I was saying like the 207, basically pen, Penny and your 23 second for the 207, your 23 third, and then no, our we 23 ha- third, right? Our, sorry, our 23 third, and then we have the 304. What was it, Dan? I keep switching my screen over. 303 and 304. Um, one of those. So basically the 207, the 303, and your 2023 third for Penny and your 23 second. I like that. Let me, uh, I think that, I think that should work. I got to run it by Curtis because I mean, he's for sure is the biggest Penny fan, but that sounds (laughs) very promising. We did, as I mentioned on the show, make the really gross pick. Uh, I think the least exciting first round pick I've ever made in dynasty when we selected James cook at the one eleven to pair with Devin Singletary. I think Singletary is the guy we do have McCaffrey and cook, but, and, and we've got Devonte Adams and Jamar chase. So we like the starters, but it, mm-hmm. Curtis and I were talking about this earlier where it's a very weird team for us, where it's very starting lineup heavy. We don't have a lot of depth. We don't have a lot of future picks. It's almost like, a bizarro team for us, but because of those moves we made in the first, in the startup, we've been chasing it ever since. So we're going to continue to chase it at least for one more year because we can't let McCaffrey and cook go without making a run. So that sounds exciting to me. Um, I'll, I'll pass that along to him. I, I think that we can get one done there and guys, it's been so awesome to chat with you. I better let you go at this point. I'm, I, I am on nice. the clock everywhere at some point. We have two hours to make that deal work because we have two hours on the clock, FYI. Great time, Sean. Thanks for coming yep, on, man. Yep. Thanks, Thanks for coming Sean. on. You're I awesome, man. Guys. Talk to appreciate you soon. Appreciate it, brother. Yep. Take, Take care. care. Catch you later. We can stay 